So a couple weeks ago when our family was on holidays, we would uh, go to Long Point Beach. We enjoy it a lot. That's our favorite spot to go. And uh, there's this little place where you can get some food on the way home. We stop there. And quite often, Susan and uh, Nigel will get uh, the, the fish and the chips. And they really enjoy that. And every time we go there, they're like, try the fish. Try the fish. And i got to tell you something. Uh, I, I love Susan with my whole heart. I'm not trying to fish. Um, <laughs> Because one of the things about fish is like a compliment to fish is that it's not like itself. People are like, it's not fishy. Which is so, there's a, I think that's an inherent problem. Um, so I'm not going to try the fish. I, I, and, and I don't ever order the fish. A couple of years ago, I was in the Philippines in this really rural area. Well, a couple, sorry. Over a decade ago, I was in the Philippines in this really rural area. And uh, they served fish. And as I was coming up to the house... I was 50 meters away and I could smell that we were having fish. When I got there, it was just a bowl. Uh, the fish had been boiled and so there it was with all of its internals, uh, gills, head, eye, the whole thing. It was just right out of the ocean into a boiling pot of water, boiled, put into a, a bowl of water and given to me. Now I ate it and I ate it in its, entire, in its entirety. And the reason that I did that is because in the first scenario, when I'm at Long Point Beach, the mode I am in is consumer. When I was in the Philippines, the mode I was in was minister. And the thing about when we get into the consumer mindset is that we are highly, highly committed to our own convenience, we are highly committed to our own preferences, and we have a very low tolerance for inconvenience. But when, you're, when we're in the mindset of a minister, we have this huge space for inconvenience and this massive space for laying down our own preferences. Um, this last year, uh, for all churches, this church and all churches, has just been a year of constant challenge and frustration and shifting and changing and opportunities for all sorts of, of, um, uh, of disunity and these sorts of things. And, 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 it, and it continues as I was preparing to make the video for this week to announce to everybody that our church services are at 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon to a bunch of North Americans that have really busy lives. I just thought to myself, wow. I may be preaching to Susan and my boys on Sunday morning at, at Woodland. So I've got to tell you, it warms my heart to look out and see your faces. Um, our text for this morning provokes us uh, to be ministers and to shift out of the idea of being consumers. It's from Romans 12. Romans chapter 12 to the end of the book of Romans, for those of you who haven't maybe read the book or it's been a while since you've read it. But the book, it, it's, it's, it's drawing us into the idea that we are all ministers, not just the one at the front who preaches from the Word of God, but all of us as believers are ministers together. It's calling us into these lives of love and service to be inspired and compelled and re-envisioned by Jesus because He, of course, was the ultimate minister who's given His lives for us. And so everything's to flow from the wonder of His grace and the goodness of His grace. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3, and I'm going to read to uh, uh, verse 8. For by grace... Given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure that God has given and distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we though many, we form one body and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that's given to us. If the gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. 
If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do so diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is God's word. Now, one I want to encourage us in this afternoon is um, that the same grace that we marvel at that saved us, you know, each week as we, as we pray that prayer of confession and know that we all are leaving here 100% justified before God, apart from anything that we do, but because what Christ has done is enough and sufficient. From the wonder of that, that, that same saving grace teaches us. It teaches us uh, to overcome the temptation to relate to our faith and the others in this room like we're consumers. And it teaches us to relate like ministers and to grow as ministers. So I want to explore three things from this text. The first one is that I think it teaches us that becoming a minister begins with a sober self-view. And after we look at that sober self-view, the second thing I want us to explore here from this text is that growing as a minister flows from understanding that you don't belong to you. And then lastly, the strength that's required to minister is renewed when God's grace is in view. So becoming a minister begins with a sober self-view. Growing as a minister flows from the understanding that you don't belong to you. And then lastly, the strength required to minister is renewed when God's grace is actually in view. So firstly, this sober self-view, it's there in verse verse 3. Don't think too highly of yourself. Have sober judgment. Consider that image of being sober. And the contrast to that, of course, being drunk and impaired. And it's a provocative image. It's there on purpose because when you're impaired, you don't see yourself accurately. Um, If someone gets drunk and then they get into a car and they grab their keys and they turn the ignition, of course it's a problem that they're... Uh, that, their, that their reflexes are not going to be great. And of course it's a problem that their vision is impaired and they're not seeing clearly. All these physiological things are problems. But the, but the root problem is the way they see themselves in that moment. The way they see themselves in that moment is, I'm fine. The way I see is fine. The way I feel is fine. The thing I desire to do right now is fine. The, 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 the root problem of being impaired is, is your self-view is totally skewed. And so we're given this picture of, of being encouraged to look at ourselves with a sober self-view. And um, how do we do that? I mean, how do we have a realistic view of ourselves? What we learn as we kind of read through this whole passage is it's flowing from having God's mercy in view. That helps me with my sober self-view. God's mercy in view means, um, you know, fundamentally, I'm so in need of his grace that God had to come personified and die for me. So that's how bad my condition is. But he wanted to. So that's how great his love for me is. So I'm simultaneously in great need of God's grace, but also so loved he was willing to give it. And that gives me a sober self-view so that I don't think too highly of myself and look at the other people here in Redeemer and, uh, and consider myself more highly uh, than, I, than I do of the people who are around me with this inflated, exaggerated sense of competence, you know, or that my, vo- my views and my voice and the way in which I am sort of handling everything is superior to those who are sitting around me. And the contrast is too, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I don't struggle in that way. May I struggle with having a low self-view of myself. But both are self-absorbed. Because if you think you're better than everybody else sitting in this room, and your way of relating to life here in Ontario is better than everybody in this room, and if everybody just had the insight line of track of, on, on wisdom that you have, 
everybody would be doing better. I mean, that's a very high view of yourself. It's self-absorbed. But if you think that, you know, everybody else in this room is better than you are, you're still weirdly self-absorbed. Because neither of those views are a proper view of how it is that God sees you. If you say, I'm, I'm a terrible, weak person and everybody in here is better than I am, that doesn't garner any more amens from heaven than does the other view. And so, we're in, we're, a good question to ask ourselves is, Oh God, uh, do I have a sober self-view? Um, when you look at verse 3, it's interesting, the, the, the terminology of, about this sober self-view, how we're supposed to think to ourselves. It goes on to say, you know, everyone is to think of, of themselves in accordance to the measure of faith. Do you see that, that uh, phrase there, measure of faith that you're given? Measure in the Greek is metron. It's like a standard measurement. It's like saying we all have been given a meter of grace. Which means we all have the same. Now, sure, there's Christians who are mature, Christians who are immature, but we all have the same meter. We all have the same metron of faith. And the reason why that's important, an important encouragement is because, again, it then helps the way that we see ourselves in, in, in comparison with those who are sitting around us. We're not better. We're forgiven. We might even be more, more mature, but that's still not better. We all have this... The, the, strong in the, the strong in the faith and the weak in the faith, the mature and the immature, we all get the same strong Christ. And so that's very humbling, I think, as we go through these days that we're living in where there's constant opportunity for dissension and disunity in the church, for us to just sort of have this sober self-view, humbling, being able to love and care, shift out of being a consumer and, and shift into this idea that I am, in fact, a minister and so becoming, this, becoming a minister, it begins here with the sober self-view. But moving on, the second thing, we grow as a minister. It flows from the understanding that you don't belong to you. And so the rest of that passage, it's breaking down various gifts, and we can spend a lot of time thinking about that. That's not an exhaustive list. Lists in the New Testament are never exhaustive. They're there for us to become reflective. They're there so that we slow down and we stop and we think. And so um, as we do that, we can be very reflective about our gifts. You can think about the gifts that God has given you. But before you think about your gifts, I think we've got to understand that the context is actually not discovering your gifts. The context is actually the purpose of your gifts. I mean, there, there's this smattering there. There's this list of them there, and you can find them there. There's not, again, like I said, it's not exhaustive. It doesn't say anything about raising children in the ways of God. That's not a big swing and a miss by the Apostle Paul. Right? Training our children is, is critical. It's there, but the reason it's there fundamentally is for us to shift into the idea, the mindset of being a minister. Say, what are my gifts for? And the answer is that they're, they're, for, they're for the people who are sitting around you, um, for us to love and to care for each other. And this is really provocative because when you get to read f- verse 5, it's kind of like, ooh, read it and weep modern individualist because it says we don't belong to ourselves and uh, it might even be easy to think oh yeah I don't belong to myself I belong to God I mean, we can wrap our minds around that but if I say to you you don't belong to you you belong to all the other people who are sitting around you because you committed in membership to care for this community of believers around you that's a tough swallow because we're baptized in individualism as a culture and so the idea is well I'll come here and if, if week after week Paul says enough thoughtful helpful and encouraging things maybe I'll keep coming but I'm not really going to be that committed to the other people who are around me. But that's not New Testament Christianity. That's consumerism. And we're not consumers. This whole passage is flowing to call us to see ourselves as ministers. Don't just see me as the minister. 
Because I have no spiritual advantage over you. I, I'd like to do a sermon series sometime called Pastors Aren't Special. You know, uh, because there's nothing special about any of the pastors that you've ever known throughout all of church history. Uh, there is a head of the church, but it's not the pastor. It's Christ. So I'm like you. And some of you are using your gifts to sing and play and read and serve kids and serve each other and set up and tear down and all these sorts of things. And outside of the Sunday morning context, of course, where you are going for coffees and encouraging and being a minister and having studies in your home. and Like you're doing all that stuff and I'm just doing my thing. And it is none, there's no advantage. Called by Christ, uh, but not special for doing it. And so we're called into this idea that we're all ministers. And um, this is, of course, so powerful and so important because we don't, I don't think as moderns we like this idea of being called into community. That phrase that says the members belong to the others. And some of you might be like, mm. go to the Greek. Maybe it means something else. Trust me, I did already. Uh, it's not any better. It's stronger, actually. So we're just going to stick with the English because we can barely even handle this. Uh, this, whole <laughs> this whole tone in the Greek is the imperative voice. And so it's like this strong command. So we're just going to stick with the English because we can barely handle the English. Uh, and so we see this and we're called into this. And we see that um, this is a challenge because every day there's a voice in our news feeds or in our lives telling us the most important thing is our own happiness and our own comfort and our own freedom and our own personal freedoms. And if anything comes up against uh, or blocks those things, get rid of them, get them out of your life. And, uh, and so this is the recipe, of course, for going through life as a consumer and not as a minister. Uh, connoisseurs are experts in what they prefer, but the scripture is not calling us to be connoisseurs of Christian culture and connoisseurs of of, of, of preaching and teaching and, 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 and corporate worship. We're not connoisseurs, ministers. And that just shifts us into a whole other way of relating to the people sitting around us. We're pretty comfortable assessing ourselves because, you see, this list goes into gifts and we can assess the gifts. I think we're pretty comfortable assessing ourselves. Some of us even like assessing ourselves, right? Ah, which disc am I? What's your disc? What's your Myers-Briggs? What's your Colby? Which Harry Potter house are you? Are you more of a Monica or a Rachel? Which Avenger would you be? I mean, if there is a test on the, box of a, the back of a cereal box that's going to tell me what cereal I'd be, I'm interested in knowing that. I, I am comfortable assessing myself. Honey, you know, honeycomb? Yes! But what we're not so comfortable with is being told we don't belong to ourselves. But what we see here is there's a pathway to true freedom that's being described here. God's prescribing this pathway to a true experience in freedom to truly be human, to truly walk into the new humanity, to resemble Christ. We're not saved by keeping any of this. You're not even saved if you fail, if you fail miserably, miserably at this. That is not the basis on which you are saved or not saved. You're saved on Christ's perfection, not your progress. And because that's true, this now becomes a great motivator where the example of Christ, he's not an example that crushes us. He's... He's actually an inspiring uh, a picture of the new humanity. He's come to show us who we were created to be. This king who stoops. The one who serves. And so it's actually an inv invitation into tremendous freedom to not wake up every day and say, how do I serve myself? And sort of 
get absorbed in this baptized idea of self-care, which, of course, I mean, self-care is important if it truly is self-care, but self-care is a great way of baptizing just cosmic self-centeredness in our culture. We don't care about each other, and we always have that get-out-of-ministry-free get card called self-care. Got a self-care. But what we're being invited to is something that's, that's very deep. What we need is the Holy Spirit sort of melt the ice over our autonomous souls so that we can avert our gaze off of ourselves and onto each other. The purpose of all these gifts, as you identi- identify yourself in that list, or if that list provokes you to, to think of the ways God has gifted you that are not on that list, all of this is provoking us to see the purpose of our gifts is not for you to be a better you. The purpose of gifts is ministry. The purpose of gifts is to remind us you don't belong to you. And so as we examine this, we see that this is very practical. It's very ordinary. You look at these lists and you break them down and you kind of consider yourself and your life. And really what you're being called to is it is supernatural because to live like you don't belong to you requires the God of heaven. But it's, but, and though it's supernatural, it's not spectacular. It's just beautifully ordinary. And uh, this, this, this picture of just love and service um, that is quite ordinary. I'm going to just very, very quickly go through the list there, but I'm only going to focus on one. One that I think that is pertinent in this moment, in this day that we're living in now. So we've got this list of gifts, prophecy. Right? Prophecy is not Christian fortune-telling. When you look at prophecy in the Bible, part of it is saying what's going to happen in the future. But it's all, if you've read through the Old Testament prophets, you start at Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, sorry, I forgot Isaiah, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, and the Italian prophet Malachi. Just kidding, Malachi. Uh, they're all, for their time, saying different things according to the time, but they're all saying the same thing, which is calling people to remember the word and the ways of God, to turn away from their cultural worship of worship to the gods of the culture, and turn back to the God who saves. So prophecy in Scripture is not Christian fortune-telling. Prophecy is not, oh, I have a prophetic gift. I just wake up and I feel this thing on the back of my neck, and I have to tell you, buy the red car, not the blue one. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I mean... Prophecy is calling people unapologetically to walk in the ways of God. So it's to know the ways of God. So maybe that's your gift. And you can be a real blessing to others here as you operate prophetically at Redeemer by encouraging people when you see that there is incongruence with the ways of God that's going to help them flourish to lovingly speak to them in that way. You've got um, this gift of service, which is this recognizing a need and seeing it and being moved by that need and then being compelled to meet it. Right? When, we hear, when, when, the, when the e-blast goes out that says someone is sick and in the hospital, you want to send that text, you want to visit them, you want to go see how they're doing. Somebody just had a baby, you want to get on that meal train, you want to make meals, you want to drive them over, you want to do it. It's just practical. Um, and many of you are walking this out in glorious ways. It's like we're meeting here, and now church is meeting there, and now church is meeting here, and now church is meeting there, now church is meeting at 3.30, and here you are just faithfully saying, hey, what do we got to do to serve? Let's do it. But outside of the Sunday morning, just glorious pictures of recognizing needs in people's lives and wanting to meet them. Teaching is self-explanatory, right? Teaching God's Word in your house, over a coffee, having Bible study, connecting with people, teaching in organic, you know, uh, uh, settings in the coffee shop where you're reminding people of the ways of God. Teaching our children, seeing that as important. Those of you who are single and happily and you don't have children, seeing these children as yours and 
pouring into their life and teaching them. You've got giving. Of course, all of us are giving. But some of you, maybe uh, those who look at your life and you see that God has blessed you in such a way that you are constantly accruing wealth, more so, more so than the rest of us. And you recognize, I have a real gift here. We're all giving, and we're all giving sacrificially. But perhaps for you, this is something that really fires you up. And you're like, please tell me when there's a need so I can meet it. We have people in this church who are like that. They're constantly sending me emails you know, a couple times a year. Hey, let me know if there's a need. I want to know about it. I want to give finances to these things, right? I send that e-blast out and say we're going to sponsor a refugee family from Turkey. And all of us are like, okay, we're going to give toward that. But there's some people who are like, they're on that in an exorbitant, like in an extravagant way. And so that's a gift. That's a real blessing. And in uh, leadership is self-explanatory. I'm calling people to, to a cause and moving the gospel forward in that. And mercy, of course, being one where there's just our hearts are, are drawn to the marginalized, drawn to those who are oppressed. I've got this long laundry list, but I'm going to close this uh, sermon but just by focusing on encouragement, the gift of encouragement. It seems like everybody should have the gift of encouragement, and in some measure we kind of all do, but I I think this is a gift that is needed like never before. In these days that we are living in, church, I want us to pray for this and desire this. May we grow as ministers in encouragement. You know, encouragement is not just like, go for it. I'm with you. Whatever you choose, I'm behind. Because... That's quite often not that helpful. It's not like cheering from a distance. You know, I went to the Jays game last week, and I was, uh, you know, really blessed. With, went with a friend, couple uh, rows back from from the action. I'm sitting there, and uh, Bo Bichette, one of our players, is right real close to us, 10, 15 feet, he's right here. And uh, and I said to him, I said, "You got this, Bo." And you want to know what Bo Bichette did? Nothing. Because I'm in the stands. I'm not a part of his life. Right? I'm not there to sit with him and to loathe and encourage. I'm not, that's not just being like, you go for it. Go for it, pastor. I hope, I hope when COVID is over, there's still a church. Woo, I'm with you. From way back here. The more decisions that get made that are not in congruence with my personal preferences, you, you got, go for it, God. Go for it. To be an encouragement in one another's life. The Greek word here, and there's a reason why I'm going to give you this, by the way. I'm not just like, you know, let's just flex on occasional Greek. The word is uh, parakaleo. Parakaleo is quite similar to the word for the Holy Spirit, who is the parakletos. Parakaleo means you're communing with, like you're right there, you're walking beside. It doesn't mean you're a professional counselor. It doesn't mean you have a master's degree in, in counseling. And it doesn't mean that you are like so intellectually in tune with what the soul and the psyche needs in 2021 that you're able to have like these words of wisdom. It means like you're just right there. It means that it, you care. It matters to you. You know, in these days ahead, church, we need to be a church of just encouragers. Where there, there is this gift. Where we're having coffee, we're connecting, we're going for a walk, we're going to their living room, they're coming to ours. We are doing what it is that we need to do um, to just really be an encouragement in each other's life. To be able to, 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 be, able to uh, be there in a, in a simple way, like a super simple way, but just in a profoundly meaningful way. And to see ourselves like that for each other as ministers. And not just sort of consumers that are kind of sit back and cheer from the 500 section and be like, hey, I'll, 
I love the church in a vague way. <laughs> I really love being a part of Redeemer. I mean, I don't know any of their names, but like, this is just kind of like in a general vibey way. This is like a great place to be. That's not what it means. It means that we, we care and that we are moved. And so we um, see that becoming a minister, it begins with a sober self-view. It's humbling. We grow as a minister from the understanding that, you know, you don't belong to you. And then lastly, as I close, you know the strength for this? It's renewed when God's grace is in view. Because even as I'm saying this, some of you are like, I totally agree, but also I'm exhausted. Paul, I'm totally with you, but uh, also I just don't have any space or energy or, or bandwidth in my life uh, for anyone else because this has just been like a rough year. Uh, my tank is empty, stick a fork in me, I'm done. Good news. Uh, we don't just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and then try harder to be encouragers. The good news of the gospel is that when God's grace is in view, when you take the time uh, you know, to come here corporately to worship, but just during, through your week to just stop, hit pause, and reflect on God's goodness in the gospel, that will, you can take this to the bank, it will empower you, and it will, it will provoke ministry out of you. It will do that. I know this personally, Susan, and I know it personally, but also the reason why Paul wrote all this is if you were to go home and fact-check this sermon to be like, Paul talked a big game about being empowered by God. If you were to fact-check me and go back to Romans 11, do you want to know how Romans 11 ends before he gets here? It ends with Paul exploding into praise. The first 11 chapters, this huge you know, exposition on God's grace and what he has done and you know, justification and sanctification and all these other theological words that end in Asian. And he's breaking it all out. It's a huge theological treatise. Then he gets to chapter 11 and he's just like, he's blown away at God's goodness. He's blown away at the renewal, the restoration that's coming as a result of the resurrection of Christ. He's blown away that this world, as it is, is not our home and it will be restored and we will be raised from the dirt, dust ourselves off and enjoy it for all of eternity. And because that's true, and because this life isn't all there is, and because there's not just 70 years before you pass into a state of non-existence and COVID didn't just steal two years of your already short existence, because that's not true, Paul just starts praising. He loses it. The end, of, the end of chapter 11 ends like this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been God's counselor? Who has ever given anything to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And from that, having God's mercy in view, blown away by grace, all of a sudden you get to here. All of a sudden the Christian is, doesn't just sit back like a consumer. The Christian is motivated to be a minister, flowing from this amazing grace of God. This God who is transcendent and tender, majestic and merciful powerful and patient, gracious. Jesus Christ, our King, the King who served, the King who stoops, the King who gave himself for you. He unites himself to you. He fills you with his spirit. He, he will empower you. So may we keep his grace in view. Let's pray.